Extreme content and trigger warning. Foul language and discussions of murder. The following case discusses extremely brutal murders and rapes of victims aged 18 and younger. This particular case was a difficult one for Amanda and I to record. There was a point where we even had to stop and compose ourselves. We decided because of this case to record a bonus palate cleanser episode. We urge you to skip ahead to the palate cleanser episode that we are posting if any of the following is a trigger for you. The detailed discussions of rape, gore, torture, murder, suicide, and animal cruelty. Listener discretion is strongly advised. Hey guys, so uh, today's episode is definitely going to be more on the serious side. Um, So we want to start out by saying a couple of things. One, we realize that Brian Laundrie's remains have been confirmed. Please do not expect us to explore this any further. Right. This is, it's a shitty situation across the board. Uh, Whether or not we have feelings toward or against his parents, they are allowed time to mourn his passing as are Gabby Petito's parents. So I strongly implore everybody to exercise empathy because no matter what side of the coin you toss, at the end of the day, the death of a loved one is a tragedy. We urge everyone to please be respectful of that. As the focus should now be on the Petito family obtaining any kind of closure, we are not saying we condone the possibility that Brian was involved in the murder of Gabby Petito. We are saying, however, that we do not want to jump the gun, nor we do we wish to engage in any manner where we make jokes about this case. We do not yet know the entire story and speculation can at best get us absolutely nowhere without facts. We need to let the law do their best job and the parents to have their time to grieve. Right. Absolutely. Um, Secondly, and I bring this up because this has been proving to be a little bit of a controversial type of thing as well. Mm -hmm. Um, We do realize that Alec Baldwin accidentally shot and killed someone on the set of a movie that he was he was doing. Yeah, we also do not wish to dive into that because we do know that it was a careless accident. I'm sure that the family of, uh, and I don't know how to say her name correctly, and I apologize, but I'm sure that the family of Helena Hutchins would like peace and privacy in this time, and that whatever repercussions to be had will be had. Yeah, the death of Miss Hutchins is absolutely tragic, but there's no need to sit here and gossip about Alec Baldwin. It doesn't accomplish anything. It It absolutely accomplishes nothing. So, um, with that... You know, the intro short. Um, We're not really getting too much into the funny business today. Um, Today we are discussing the Toolbox Killers in the last Halloween episode. Um, This one won't be near as light or funny or fuzzy or fluffy or cute or cuddly as normal. Um, So with that, welcome to a Quacks Quiz. funny but can you tell me why you made this a quacks quiz um well so i needed a keyword okay come on <laughs> i needed a keyword 
Um, no, but, I mean, these people were quacks. Like, they absolutely were quacks. And I needed a keyword for game. And even though quiz isn't technically a game, it still worked. And, I mean, believe me, it's going to make sense. They're fucking quacks, okay? All right. Getting into it. <sighs> okay. So, Amanda and I both thoroughly researched and wrote out this case. And it's, it's, uh... It's pretty, it's pretty bad. Um, I don't know how many trigger warnings I can include in this. Oh, never enough. There's not enough for this one. So, um, you know, as we said in the intro, it's not going to be a nice fluffy case. It's, it's pretty bad. No, this is a hard one, guys. Very tough. So, um, the person who, um, interviewed Bideker, and we're about to get into Bideker, believe me, Mm. um, absolutely fit every corner of his M.O. She was blonde. She wore a cross. At one point was also pregnant. And when she and she developed a friendship with Bideker. Um, There were a few times where she had recalled almost fondly of conversations that they had. Although it does turn out that like there would be times where she talked to like victims families and you know they would cry and talk about things together. But at the same time, like, she was working really hard to not be judgmental and did forge a friendship with this guy. Um, she, um, her name was Laura Brand. She's a criminologist. Uh, she seemed the complete opposite of naive, and she did everything she could not to judge him. She was persistent. Bitteker had refused interviews at first, but um, she was very persistent, and he eventually was like, all right, you know. Um, they developed a friendship over this, and she visited him a few times, her kid even calling him Uncle Larry, which kind of makes me sick. Yeah, I don't like that. Nothing against her, okay? I have nothing against her. I'm just like, wow, that's a really scary situation. Yeah. Um, but I mention this because um, this guy was able to weave his way in a manipulative occurrence in a sense, not to the extent of what he could have, but he did. I'm reiterating here that this man was, unfortunately, powerful in that sense. Let that be a lesson to everybody that's listening that you shouldn't live in constant fear, but you should always look within from a non-emotional standpoint. Sometimes people are not who you think they are. Sometimes they're not your friends. Okay? Yeah, exactly. I love how the other person who interviewed him was all, yeah, yeah, okay, whatever. I'm not buying into your bullshit. (laughs) Like she even said he was showing some remorse and she was like, oh, come on now. We both (laughs) laughed because it was just ridiculous. I remember that. Um, But yeah, I mean, if I was a sadistic piece of shit, I would not want Mary O'Toole interviewing me either, you know, because she was such a badass. And if I were a bullshitter, she would absolutely call me out on it. Y'all have to watch that show. Yes. It's about an hour and a half long and it really details a lot of the insider's perspective on what the toolbox killers did. Oh, I didn't catch her name, but the pregnant lady he befriended and offered to help in the 70s, wasn't she nearly a victim? Um, I I personally think that she very well could have been. Um, and the reason why I think that is because in the show, like, you see that she's, she's recalling all of this, and she's, you could see her gripped with fear. Um, 
they had um, befriended each other because she was kind of like kicked out on the stoop because she was pregnant. And this is the 70s, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. And so she was calling her mom or somebody asking for a way home. And I did not catch her name. I tried so hard. I, I don't know if my mind is just fucked up or not, but I was like <laughs> going back on the show trying to like get her name. I went and Googled her name. I just couldn't fucking find her name. She is the brown. She has brown hair and it's short. And she has kind of like an eye that's drifting inward. She's a very beautiful lady, but um, did not catch her name. But um, basically what had happened was she was on the phone. She was trying to get a way home because, you know, she's pregnant and scared. And he walks up to her and he's like, hey, you know what? I've got you. If you need help, you know, if you need um, help raising the baby or, or money or whatever, I've got you. And he like showed compassion towards her. Um, and then they um, had befriended each other, and one day they were in the van together, and they'd gotten into some kind of an argument. And he had said, out of anger, "You know, if you weren't pregnant, I would shoot you." What a prick! Yeah, that's uh, that's putting it very mildly, actually. I think that's insane how he tried to say he had all these emotions and that he would cry watching these cheesy commercials. Yeah. That looked like a top-notch manipulation tactic right there. That's a classic narcissist. Okay, so who are they? Okay. <clears throat> Five seconds. Okay. Lawrence Bittaker was born September 27th, 1940 in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. His dad and mom both drank a lot and had partied a lot. His mom had him at a very young age. I think she was 15. Bittaker was constantly left alone as a young child. After some convincing from family members, his parents gave him to an aunt and uncle. To the day he died, he blamed his sexual deviancy on his, on his mother and claims that he would have been different had she kept him. He even said that he had essentially planned to find his mother and kill her. He held onto a grudge on his mother, and his aunt and uncle were, I guess, they were pretty much more of a roommate situation than parents. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of like an authoritarian roommate, basically. They uh, they didn't communicate with him. You know, they would, they would lay his food on the table and just kind of ignore him. Um, as he got older, he'd set fires, and he claimed that a punishment for setting the fires was his aunt making him strip naked and burning him all over his body with a cigarette. Oh, no. Yeah, well, you know. Fuck him. Sorry, fuck him. I don't I don't care, but fuck oh. him. Trying to Man. make... Listen, here's what pisses me off about this guy, okay? And, and as soon as everybody will realize it, he had done what he had done to these victims, but yet he claims that he's a fucking victim. Yeah. I have absolutely uh, no sympathy for him. We're... My next case is going to be another one that blames the mother a lot. Yeah, they We're always on a kick right now. You know, I do agree to some extent that you're like what you do as a parent will affect you to some extent as you get older, but this right here whether it's a, it's horrible, it's horrifying the way that he was raised. With, with that regard, though, what he did to these little girls that we discuss is unexcusable. Yeah. So. Absolutely. So, Bittaker made good grades in school, 
but he already showed signs of sadism. Mm -hmm. One thing he did was he had kept rabbits and he went out to where the rabbits were, took a pair of pliers and pulled its teeth out. So he got his start there, basically. Mm, pliers. Just Ugh. remember pliers, guys. Ugh, I don't really want to. Um, in high school, he started a relationship with a girl named Mary Ann, who was also a Catholic schoolgirl. Mm. He really fell for her. He used to take her up to a spot on the San Gabriel Mountains in California to hang out, hike, make out, you know, young love. Young love. Oh, he played young love. Mm. So at one point, he set up a tape recorder and recorded one of their makeout sessions. Oh, of course he did. She eventually ended up breaking up with him. And this is important because she had big, bright blue eyes, blonde hair, wore a cross necklace, just like his victims. Just like his victims. Yes. He had uh, even made his victims wear a cross during some of his horrific acts. Yep. Uh, Bideker got arrested at the age of 17, right before high school graduation. Uh, he was sent to Tracy Dual Vocational Institute, which was called a youth camp, but really was kind of like juvie. Uh, he had plenty of evalu evaluations that popped off tons of red flags, like violent behaviors and little to no regard of how his ways affected others. Uh, anger issues, etc. Like, he didn't care that he had issues. And it was noted in the show, I mentioned, that they could have caught this early on. I guess that they didn't. <laughs> Jeez, yeah. I, <laughs> oh man, this this man. All right. So in 1974, he went to a local grocery store after he was released from this juvie situation he was in. Mm -hmm. uh, he stole a couple of steaks and shoved them down his pants. He was followed out of the store by a clerk, and Bittaker turned around and stabbed him. The clerk thankfully survived and yeah. because of the stabbing Bittaker ends up in prison wow um, and then Lawrence Bittaker and Rory Norris met in prison so before I go into Roy Norris I just want to say one thing real quick I'll try to be mm -hmm. quick I'm never quick um, first of all uh, the level of evil in this man's eyes will never match the level of evil I saw when watching this dude on the show or seeing him in the pictures. I know. Lawrence Bittaker was scary in the sense that he was intelligent and he knew what he was doing. And you can definitely see that he had a massively sadistic side. But you can also somewhat see that a human being did live in there. <clears throat> he just didn't care to nourish that human being. So this is not to say I'm his sympathizer because you're going to find out that I am absolutely not. Um, I am saying that watching Roy Norris, when you see him staring you down in the pictures or on that show, it is as though he is in the room with you looking directly at you. Like he even makes a motion towards the camera. Like when he realizes the camera is there, he's like looking straight ahead and then he looks directly into the camera as if he's looking right at you. It's freaky. Like, not in a good way freaky. Um, it was seriously demonic energy and it's just beyond terrifying. 
So, Roy Norris was born February 5th, 1948. Well, fuck. An Aquarius. What? What? I said, oh, what do you know? I'm an Aquarius. (gasps) Oh, shocked. I'm a good girl. I'm Sagittarius. We're angels. So are Aquariuses usually, but not this guy. Um, (laughs) But he was born... You know, an, unfortunately born in Aquarius in Greeley, Colorado. He was a serial rapist who was thought to hate women. Uh, he was prosecuted for rape in 1975, given three years to life in the California Men's Colony East Facility, San Luis Obispo. Um, and he met Bitteker, who was there first. So Bitteker pretty much took Norris under his wing and protected him. Because as a sexual predator in prison, you're a target. Mm -hmm. Some say that there's like a pecking order and the sexual predators and rapists and things like that are at the lowest of the totem pole. So they are ones that are always the target, which I'm perfectly fine with. Yep. (laughs) But Whitaker was like, no, I'm going to take you and we're going to be friends and we are going to become this horrific team. Mm-hmm. And Bitteker protected Norris in prison, so Norris felt indebted. Mm-hmm. Evidently, they met making jewelry together, specifically cross necklaces. Oh. Uh, remember that. Um, it was here where they formed a sick, sick and twisted alliance and befriended one another. Uh, they both discussed plans they had with a fellow inmate, Richard Schupman, who was in prison for murdering a college-aged girl. Um, he would write up some of their sick fantasies there being Roy Norris and Lawrence Bittaker's sick fantasies. He would write them up and I guess he would profit off of them by selling them to other inmates. So they fantasized about what they'd all do when they got out. Um, now the reason why I say remember the cross necklaces is because I will go ahead and mention here that they made the victims wear the cross necklaces if they weren't already wearing them. They wanted to play a game of sorts. One victim for each teenage year. I know. I know. I I have a lot of non-words words for this case. I have thoughts. (laughs) I have thoughts. Yeah. So, due to both Norris and Bitteker having antisocial personality disorder... They were both able to convince therapists that they were fine to walk among society. Wow, Amanda. (laughs) Walk among society (laughs) without harming anyone. Bullshit. Mm -hmm. Um, These therapists noted that there were no further danger to anyone in the 1970s for you, man. Yep. I know Bittaker was diagnosed with polymorphous perverse personality. Um, that means um, he was able to commit any crime in the books just for his own pleasure. He didn't worry about his psychopathy. So basically what he would do, get, take back to the, like, where he would steal the stakes. It, it wasn't like he needed the, sna- the stakes. He just was yeah. like, hey, I'm going to go klepto out. And if somebody chases me, I'm going to stab him in the wherever the fuck I'm going to stab him. And I don't fucking care what happens to me. Yeah. Um, I have a family member like this guy. And um, that's all I'm going to say about that. That's scary. Mm. Yep, I've told you about him. 
Yeah. I told you about him. Currently, he is uh, he's wanted. And uh, that's all I'm going to say about that right now. Yeah. I promised an episode about it, and it's coming. I can't wait. <laughs> so, anyways, Bittaker ends up getting out of jail, moves to L.A., gets a job at Burbank as a skilled mechanic. Machinist. He was a machinist. I know. That's what I read <laughs> in my head. That's okay. not what came out of my mouth. I'm just helping. <laughs> I'm just helping. <laughs> you gotta keep it somewhat light for you guys, okay? <laughs> oh, this is just Amanda trying to speak, apparently. It's okay. It's okay. So, then shortly after... Norris, who offered to build some kind of compound and take care of Bittaker. In the show, it's noted as a very teacher-student relationship. Don't, you don't have to read the rest of that. I forgot to edit that out. <laughs> I stopped. <laughs> Thank you. I was like, stop! Don't read that! <laughs> no. Okay, I'm, I'm just pausing for a minute so I know what to edit. That was totally my fault, by the way. Okay. Bittaker wants a van, specifically one with a sliding door, because why wouldn't you want a fucking van? Okay? That's like the least suspicious vehicle on the planet. Specifically, especially in this case, right? Um, But the sliding door was for quick and ease of access to, to, quote, get the victims in the van quicker. Like, they seriously planned this out. They wanted a van because they figured a car was too confined and they needed room to be able to lie up a victim. Uh, So Bittaker buys a silver van and lovingly calls it the Murder Mac. Uh, They specifically called it that because originally they called it a Mack truck. Oh, yeah. Okay, dude. They had police scanners, a shag carpet. It was a green shag carpet. Green. Yeah. It was, yeah. A fold-down bed like they tricked this van out. Underneath the bed was the toolbox that was used for the torture. They also had walkie-talkies. Bittaker and Norris set out and about on their journey. Along with what's known as the Strand. Which is along the coast of California. They started taking pictures of unsuspecting women in their bikinis. Then Bittaker takes Norris up to San Gabriel Mountains to show Norris remote areas and fire roads that they could use. So at this point, you can all glean from this that this is all planned the fuck out. Mm -hmm. And they planned this just for fun. Just for fun. When you hear of cases like Son of Sam, Ed Kemper, Gacy, even Tony Costa, who I just recently did an episode about, which people need to go listen to that, but uh, none of these people were near as methodical in planning. Uh, There was more compulsive, I guess, um, but this one is just downright meticulous. I think one that would probably come close to this is the Zodiac Killer or even the Toy Box Killer, which is arguably very bad, but not near as rough as this will be. Now, they decide these spots are great because they can easily dump their victims' bodies and no one would hear them scream. They then go to a spot and take several innocent-looking selfies where they are in a particular spot seemingly admiring the scenery of the mountains. 
and one of Bideker bending down looking at something on a gate. These pictures, however, were a message that they were sending to this inmate that they were serious about their plan. Mm -hmm. The one of Bideker looking at the gate, that was actually him breaking off the lock so they had complete access to this park. Ugh. It's disgusting. Yeah. Okay, so um, June of 1979. 16-year-old Lucinda Cindy Schaefer was leaving from a church outing near Redondo Beach. Um, They had stopped and offered her a ride, to which she declined. Norris then forced her into the van, duct-taped her mouth, and bound her arms and legs. Bideker drove the van to a remote road on San Gabriel Mountains. Both men raped the girl, and then Bideker decided that she could recognize them and tell someone. So he had Norris try to strangle her with a coat hanger. Um, He couldn't do it. He went to go throw up. So Bideker knew that that wouldn't kill her immediately, even though it was, you know, severely painful. Uh, Cindy requested to have time to pray before they killed her, if that was their intention. Bideker is noted as saying, quote, God don't live here, only devils. He then tightened the wire hanger with vice grip pliers, strangling her to death. They wrapped her body in a plastic shower curtain and dumped her in a nearby canyon. Okay. Um, (laughs) I always have to take a pause. It's a rough case. It really is. Uh, So just two weeks later, on July 8th, 1979, they pick up 18-year-old Andrea Hall. She was hitchhiking. And where Norris hid in the back of the van while Bideker convinced her to get in. After she had gotten in, Bideker offered her a drink from the cooler in the back. When she went to the cooler, Norris jumped her, bound her arms and legs, and taped her mouth shut. They took her to the same remote fire road, which was out of sight from the highway, by the way. And they raped her several times. Uh, Bideker dragged her from the van and Norris left her to get beer. When he returned, Hall was gone and Bideker was looking at Polaroid pictures of her. He had stabbed her with an ice pick in both ears and strangled her and he threw her body off a cliff. So this was the first attempt at an ice pick in the ear. They said that they got the idea from a movie they saw in prison. I mean, let's screen our movies a little bit better, guys. Well, it's it's it was said in one of the two podcasts that I was listening to about this that um yeah, that, but also like movies don't necessarily realize that this isn't going to instantaneously kill somebody. Um people constantly go for like things like an ice pick, but the one thing that will instantaneously kill somebody is not necessarily that. It'll just cause a lot of severe pain. Yeah. Um, but yeah, just imagine how much pain these victims must have been. Uh, it's been said that, you know, with, with the ice pick, you know, imagine your worst ear infection and multiply that by a thousand. Oh, poor babies. Um, on September 3rd, while driving near Hermosa beach, they spotted two girls on a bus stop bench and offered them a ride. It was Jackie Gilliam, 15, and Leah Lamp, 13, and they accepted her, yeah, they accepted their offer. The girls became suspicious when Bideker parked the van near a suburban tennis court. 
Now, your first thought is to run and tell someone because it's a semi-public spot. But remember, this is the late 70s and these are still children. Lamp went for the back door. Lamp fought like hell, by the way. She did. She but, did. but Norris caught her and hit her in the head with a baseball bat. She tried to fight him off, but with Bideker's help, Norris subdued the teens and bound them both. Bideker then drove them to the same remote fire road. They kept the girls alive for two days, raping and torturing them the whole time with a wire hanger and pliers. They even made an audio recording of the events. Eventually, Bideker stabbed Gilliam in both ears with an ice pick. When she didn't succumb to her injuries, both men's, men took turns strangling her until she died. Uh, Bideker then strangled Lamp while Norris hit her in the head with a sledgehammer seven times. They dumped the girls' bodies over a cliff. The ice pick was still in Gilliam's head. There are pictures where you see the ice pick still implanted in the skull. Um, one sad thing about that is that there were people at the tennis court who had actually noticed that something was amiss. They noticed the altercation and kept playing their game. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Uh, you know how those people on the train recently, you, did you hear about the case where there was the people on the train? And I think you might have actually been one of the people that sent me that video. But they were on the train and they were recording a, a woman being raped. So, I just can't imagine. This is this is my opinion, but this is just as bad. Um, you know, these these people playing tennis are just like, oh, what's going on there? Oh, it looks like somebody's getting murdered. Well, let's just keep playing tennis. I'm sorry, but always fucking intervene unless you feel like your own life is also in danger. This girl could have been spared, but I absolutely stand by the fact that these assholes just stood by and minded their own business. Fuck mm -hmm. that intervene. It makes me so fucking angry. At least call 911. At least call 911. Do something. They did not do shit. Fucking affluent ass motherfuckers. Just like, oh, it's not my business, so I gotta mind my own business. I've got money to make. No. Fuck them. No way. Fuck uh -uh. them. So, uh, this is directly from Murderpedia. Mm -hmm. They also kidnapped Shirley Sanders on September 30th, mm -hmm. macing her and forcing her into the van. Both raped her, but she escaped. Police had showed her pictures of the men, and she identified the men as Lawrence and Roy. Right. Um, and I realize that this has already been difficult to listen to, but... Um, this one is particularly heinous, and I request that if you cannot handle much more, either please just stop the episode and move on to the bonus palette cleanser that we are also going to be dropping. For the lack of better description, safer version of these horrific events, final victim, they kidnapped 16-year-old Lynette Ledford on October 31st, who was walking home from a Halloween party. They took turns raping and torturing her while driving around Los Angeles instead of heading to their usual mountain spot. Bideker stabbed the young girl several times and also tortured her with the pliers. During her torture, her screams and pleas were tape recorded as Bideker repeatedly beat her elbows with a sledgehammer, all the time demanding that she not stop screaming. He eventually strangled her with a wire hanger using the pliers to twist a cinching hoop around her throat. 
Instead of tossing her body over a cliff, they left it on a random lawn in Hermosa Beach to see the local reaction in the newspaper. The body was found the next day and people were on high alert, being only a few days since the arrest of the Hillside Strangler. At this point, Amanda and I tried to reenact the transcript. It was so incredibly difficult that we decided to not include that into this episode. The transcript is available on the internet, however, but please exercise caution if you go look for it. The torture he put this child through is just so extremely heartbreaking that it made us both severely uncomfortable. I feel like we should take a break here and then continue on. That's a great idea. Hey, Courtney. What's up? You tend to deal with more of the production side of this podcast. Uh What kind of tools do you use? Well, I actually use a few things, but my favorite one I use is a really cool program called Anchor. Really? Yeah, it's by far the easiest way to create a podcast. They provide creation tools that allow you to record. You can also edit your podcast right from your computer or cell phone. Wow, that's pretty awesome. Yeah. So how do you push your podcast to different platforms? Dude, Anchor does it all for you. They distribute your podcast to Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many other platforms. That's cool. Yeah. On top of us wrangling our kids, working full time, doing research, that does seem to cut down a lot of the time, huh? Oh, yeah. How come we didn't know about this sooner? Honestly, I really don't know. But one of the best parts about this is you don't have to have a minimum number of listeners or plays to monetize off your podcast. That's awesome. That helps us become one step closer to helping donate back to the victims and their families. Yeah, that's important. But how much does it cost to use Anchor? Well, are you ready for this? Yeah, bring it on. It's free dude dude that's awesome go download the free anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started all right we are back and i want to take a moment and remember the victims please do we need to remember that these were innocent children teen or not these were children yes they were so we have lucinda cindy schaefer who was born july 9th of 1962 in Bexar County, Texas. Or it's Bear, right? Yeah, it's Bear. You say it Bear. Yeah, we actually confirmed that it's Bear. I did that because I'm actually doing a case yeah. over there right now. I remembered that. Yeah, I'm still I'm still digging into it. So she was born there. Interesting. Yeah. And she died in June. 24th, 1979, just shy of her 17th birthday. She had double pierced ears. She was from Torrance, California is where she was living at the time, I believe. And she was very nice to everyone and was also really involved in school activities. Okay. Andrea Hall, who was the second victim, was born... October 21st of 1960 and sadly died July 8th of 1979 at only 18 years old. Okay. I'm trying to figure out how to say this name. It's Cuyahoga. Cuyahoga Falls. Yeah. So she was born in Cuyahoga Falls. Cuyahoga Oh, yeah, I'm not going to get that right. It's okay. All right, guys. Anyways, she's from Ohio. Yeah, she's from Ohio. 
We're just going to go with that. Yeah. Um, she had no job at the time of her dear appearance. It's, it's uh, going. We're having we're having a real hard time with this case now, guys. We're, Please just bear with us. We're having Amanda's having major speech issues. <laughs> That's what sadness so. does. Okay, so she had no job at the time of her disappearance. She would regularly send letters home to Ohio, mm-hmm. and she pretty much just made a living from donating blood at the time to get by. Her sister, Julie LaFay, makes an appearance in the documentary we bring up here and there. She mentions that hitchhiking was a part of the culture, but didn't know her sister was hitchhiking till it was too late. She also says in the doc that a small piece of me died every day for the past 12 and a half years. It was tough. Mm. So heartbreaking. Mm-hmm. Close to 45 years later, they're still looking for the body. Wow. Then we have Jacqueline Gilliam. Mm -hmm. She was born March 17th of 1964 in Wisconsin. And she passed away September 3rd of 1979 at only 15 years old. She lived in Redondo Beach. Mm -hmm. Um, As did... Jacqueline Lee Lamp, um, who was born October 18th of 1965. She passed away September 3rd of 1979, just shy of her 14th birthday. Mm. 13 years old, this baby. 13. Yeah. Um, her inscription on the grave site, I love this too. I was, I was looking at pictures of it. Yeah. It says, beloved daughter and sister. Her mother... Um, Her name is Myrna Loy Sanderson Carlisle. Oh, man, that's a mouthful. Yeah. She passed away in 2006. Oh. Yeah. She lived a lot longer than her daughter. Um, one memory says, I'll always remember her beautiful eyes. She oh. did have beautiful eyes. Yeah, she did. Um, these both of these girls, Jacqueline and Jacqueline, but they both loved to sew with their mothers. They loved cooking and often going to the beach. No, I know, poor babies. All right, Shirley Lynette Ledford was born March fourth, nineteen sixty-three, and passed away at sixteen years old on November 1st of 1979 she was from Sun Valley and she was last seen hitchhiking home from a Halloween party her inscription also reads beloved daughter and sister one of the comments on the find a grave site says hey Shirley sometimes it helps knowing that you're resting in a better place you were such a beautiful woman, and it hurts me that you never got to live the life you deserved. I pray for you every night, and one day I'll see you on the other side. Oh. Man, all of these comments that people leave on these find the grave sites just get to me. Oh my goodness. I know. Ugh. Well, I'm going to go ahead and, you know, just 
hope that these souls are resting in peace and that their families are, you know, for the most part, you know, doing, doing well. And I hope that they've obtained their closure and just so sad. Like these were all children, you know? Um, well, let's get into the arrest and the trial, which we won't get too much into the trial because, you know, why? Um, so basically, Lawrence Bittaker and Roy Norris thought that they got away with it, and they thought that they had plenty of time that they could keep doing what they were doing. Um, they wanted to get every age. Oh, that so was, like, in the team. Yeah. It's fucking... Mm. Um, that was their game. Unfortunately for Bittaker, Norris enjoyed this so much that he had to go and brag to people about it. Uh, he showed people pictures of what they had done, because they had a Polaroid camera. Gee, I wonder why they had a Polaroid camera. Maybe it was, I don't know, because they didn't want to develop pictures. Yeah. And get them seen, right? Um, but yeah, all of that. Normally, um, I would say, I would be one of the first people to say snitches get stitches. Uh, but in cases like this, Roy Norris is dumbass. He, he dug that grave. And I'm happy you did. Sometimes dumb people do some smart things and they don't realize it. Uh, you know, I like Pinky and the Brain. You know, the Brain, you know, he seems very smart, but Pinky always ends up being the smart one. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, exactly. This is, this is very Pinky and the Brain, except not like near as... It's just not near as innocent. So, but it's, it's weird. It's weird. So... Why Norris was bragging to another friend from prison, Jamie Dalton, totally bragging about how he was the mastermind behind all of this. Mm -hmm. Essentially, Dalton did not believe him and thought that he was all talk. But when he realized that all the hype about the Ledford body being found, he realized that Norris was being serious. He called his lawyer and they together went to the police. Uh, Dalton mentioned a silver van, you know, the murder Mac mm. on, oh my God, the murder Mac. Okay. I, I was not intending to do this originally, but you know, have you ever seen one of those really, and this is not me meaning to be funny, but it might be funny. I don't know. I don't know what comes out of my mouth sometimes, but have you ever seen those, like the beginning of like a summer road trip movie? Um, and it's like really cheesy, stupid movie. And you see like, it's a bunch of friends. They're just ready to have the summer of their lives. And they're like hanging out and they're like, let's go to the beach, dude. And then all yeah. of a sudden they're like, we need to buy us a murder Mac. That's what that reminds me of. Like these fucking, they're, they're big old fucking children. <laughs> big Fuck. fucking, big old full grown toddlers. These bitches. Ugh. Anyway. But yeah, he, he mentioned a silver van, which is what essentially kicked off the investigation. Uh, originally, they had no evidence to go off of. They didn't want to be hasty with this in investigation. And I mean, I understand that they want to get all of the evidence. They want to fucking gather all of it. Um, but they also realized that time was not on their side in, in the event that, like, another murder would happen. And, um, you know, they, they didn't want this killing spree to continue. Gosh, no. Yeah. So they ended up setting up surveillance and caught Norris selling weed. <laughs> Norris, who already had a criminal record, 
Two days before Thanksgiving that year, they brought Norris in, questioned him, and first he was resistant, but then he crumbled and sang like a bird. Hey, have you ever played Duck Hunt? No. But I see where your mind's going. I can't believe you've never played Duck Hunt. Okay, you remember, like, uh, maybe, maybe, well, you're not as old as I am. But, like, back in the day when, like, Nintendo was, like, a big thing, there was, like, the Mo- the Super Mario Brothers game, and it also yeah. came, like, doubled with Duck Hunt. And so you oh, would say, sit- yeah, Duck video Hunt. Game. Oh, yeah. yeah. No, no, I know Duck Hunt. Yeah. Well, if you ever want to win a solid game of Duck Hunt, just remember, just imagine that the duck is Norris or Bedeker. I mean, you'll win. Get it singing like a bird? (laughs) (laughs) I'd hit him with more than a clay disc. Isn't that what they use in Duck Hunt? I think so. They didn't have to enforce anything too hard on Norris for a ride-along. Because it was legal code. But Norris had insisted anyway. Mm. It's funny because Norris felt like he owned him his life. Mm -hmm. But evidently not his silence. Man, <laughs> what a dumb shit. But thank God for that. Amen, man. <laughs> Norris then led police to the locations where they had dumped all their bodies. They found Leah Lamp, Jackie Gilliam, with Bittaker's ice pick still buried in Gilliam's ear. But no trace was found of Cindy Schaefer or Andrea Hall. To this day, they have not been found. But Norris had given enough evidence to clinch his plea bargain. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Fucking A. Mm-hmm. I'm not a murderer and I'm not any kind of offender, but if I were, I would at least have a little bit of some kind of... I mean, face it, actually, if I if I was, I probably wouldn't. But, I mean, just it just astounds me how these people are like... They, they don't give a fuck. They just don't want to go to jail. It's like, go oh, fuck yourself. Um, anyway, yeah, they were both charged with five counts of first-degree murder, plus additional charges of kidnapping, robbery, rape, deviant sexual assault, and criminal conspiracy. Uh, each defendant tried to blame the other for the worst of the act. <laughs> Pinky in Typical. the brain. Pinky in the brain. One is a genius, the other's insane. (laughs) Anyway. I know which is which. Norris claimed that he had been high on drugs most of the time, unable to resist Bittaker. It's funny, because again, I mentioned Tony Costa, and I'm sorry, but I'm just obsessed with that case. But, um, you know, he he also claimed drug use was his motive. But, uh, yeah. But the audio tapes, you know, the transcript that that we decided not to read, for example, that yes. one that one said otherwise. It revealed that Norris was a full-on, straight-up participant. Yes. Norris realized he would have to do more to avoid the death penalty, so he narked his best friend forever out. Oh, man. Mm-hmm. They, uh, they agreed to dismiss the death penalty for Norris. But under California law, they had to have a full report because before they could ever consider a death penalty. The acts of the Lawrence Bittaker were so heinous that California actually grounded him to death penalty. To which I say, hell yeah. 
Okay, so I had to, um, and you know what? That's that will be our funny tidbit for the episode. Um, real fun fact about a nefarious nightmare. We we tend to read off of our notes, and sometimes whenever I take notes, I take notes with voice to text. <laughs> and <laughs> sometimes Amanda doesn't catch it. <laughs> so she said the acts of the Lawrence Bittaker. I think that I accidentally said the Lawrence Bittaker. Um, he ain't anything. He's just a bitch. So the acts of the bitch were so heinous. And I spelled heinous wrong with my voice. <laughs> that California actually granted yeah. him. Grounded him to the death penalty. <laughs> we can laugh about that because fuck that guy. But yeah. He was grounded to the death penalty. And actually, California goes. I was like, <laughs> like, is that like a new, a new thing she's trying out? They grounded no. him to the death penalty. I don't I don't I don't create or follow trends. I just do I mean it works. California gold, you're grounded. <laughs> what am I grounded to? Death. You're grounded to death. Man. What are you it's doing a, to me? I don't I'm not trying to do anything. My voice to text did it. My voice to text gets me in so much fucking trouble sometimes. I swear. I heinous. Heinous. They, so my voice to text spelled heinous. H-E-Y-N-I-S. I'm like, what? Very literal spelling of heinous. Like, they can't fucking do anything else right, but they had to spell heinous extremely literal. I, I feel like that's a great spelling of heinous. Heinous. Hey, Ness. Hey, Ness. <laughs> no, the acts of the, uh, the acts of Lawrence Bittaker were so heinous that Calif- California actually granted him uh, the death penalty. So, to which Amanda says, "Hell yeah, hell yeah." Um, and you know, Amanda and I can sit here all day long, and we can argue the semantics of whether the death penalty is right or wrong. But you know, we're also again we're a nef- we're a nefarious nightmare, and we do not talk about bias and point of views and religion and politics and bullshit like that. I will say, though, that this dude certainly deserved the fucking death penalty. Yes. Um, I will take huge exception there. Personally, I wish they had given it to Norris as well, but, you know, we'll take what we can get. Whatever works, I guess. Yeah. I'm not gonna get into the whole trial or everything, but... Basically, the acts that these two men had committed were so heinous, and the transcripts and the tapes that were played for the jury were so heinous Mm -hmm. that people left the courtroom in tears. (laughs) I'm sorry. We're not laughing at the jury, guys. Another voice to text fail. Oh my god. This is the the palate cleanser that this episode needs. I can't hold it back. Okay. Spelt court. Q-U-A-R-T. <laughs> that was my voice. <laughs> they First of all, they spelled heinous right the second and third time. But quart. Like quart of milk. <laughs> it was a quart of tears. <laughs> oh, shit. Oh, no. Oh, no. Okay. 
we're we're gonna play a game now. No, wait, I shouldn't have said that, but that's okay. We're gonna play a game now. Um, what's what's the next thing that voice to text Miss Spouse? You're not gonna know because I'm just gonna start laughing every time now instead I'll of trying to just make it through. This is where Courtney needs to learn to proofread before she sends a document over. Maybe Amanda needs to learn to read her script before this <laughs> podcast. Oh, man. Okay. Okay, so to correct that, and you know what? I'm going to keep all of this in because we all need a good palate cleanser. Oh, we do. We um, do. But yeah, basically the acts that these two men had committed were so heinous. Spelled right. And the transcripts and the tapes that were played for the jury jury were so heinous, spelled right, <laughs> that people left the court the court room. <laughs> the courtroom. They spelled it wrong it's, twice. It's a very teeny tiny room. Fuck <laughs> <laughs> my life, man. They left. They they spelled quart wrong twice. Wow. Dude, this is what this... happens when we're both sleep deprived, I think. Listen, if y'all listen to the bonus episode, you're going to hear all about it. Um, professional law enforcement officials had to take... Okay, time to get serious. <laughs> Alright, I got it. Okay. So... I don't know where I am. Oh, professional Prof- law enforcement officials had to take three months off for their mental health because of this. Mm-hmm. This is why we suggest not looking for these tapes. Also worth mentioning again that Bideker himself claimed that he wanted to be bigger than Manson. And in a lot of ways, he got what he wanted. Wowed. Wowed. Stephen Kay, the prosecutor at Bideker's trial. You know, I did say prosecutor this time. <laughs> okay. Prosecutor. Still considers the murders committed by Bideker and Norris as being the worst criminal case he has ever prosecuted or encountered and remained insistent in his belief that prior to Bideker's death via natural causes he had been more deserving of being executed than any other inmate incarcerated on California's death row. Paul Bynum. Totally. Paul Bynum, the chief investigator of the murders committed by Bideker and Norris, committed suicide in December of 1987. He was only 39 years old. In a 10-page suicide note, Bynum specifically referred to the murders committed by Bideker and Norris as haunting him and of his fear they may be released from prison. God, that makes me sad. I know. It's horrible. This is how bad this case is. Mm. Throughout the entire time, Bideker had found ways to extend the time between execution dates he did things like file suits that got overturned, and they were stupid suits, too. Like, I don't remember the exact logistics of it, but something to the effect of he's not getting enough crackers with his soup. Like, it's just, there were stupid things. But he would, like, go into full throttle with these suits, 
and knowing that he wouldn't win them, but they would just push his execution back, you know? Um, but it was anything to delay what would be coming. He spent a lot of time in prison essentially showing absolutely zero remorse for his crimes. Even had so-called fans where he would sign his letters with the nickname he had given himself, which is Pliers. Ew. Yeah, he was able to last until he passed away of natural causes at 79 years old in 2019. Natural causes? What a shitty way. Mm. So. Well, he died peacefully. Oh. Fuck him. Jesus. I Those hope. I don't want peacefully dying. Listen, some people don't believe in hell. I hope this motherfucker is sitting in hell on a spiky spike yeah. up his ass. And that somebody is turning the crank. Hope so. I hope that he is getting his insides ripped out over and over and over again. He has to wake up every day and relive it as if it was his full-time fucking job. Hope so. Need something, man. So, Norris mm -hmm. initially became eligible for parole in 2009. Mm -hmm. He declined to attend the parole hearing thereby automatically deferring his parole eligibility for another 10 years. Good. Hmm. He was denied parole again in 2019, and his bitch ass died not long after that in February of 2020. Bye! I don't know how he died. I don't care. The world is a better place without either of them. Yep. One interesting thing to note about the tape, according to Wikipedia... The audio cassette Bittaker and Norris created of themselves raping and torturing Ledford remains in the possession of the FBI Academy. This recording is now used to train and desensitize FBI agents to the raw reality of torture and murder. So I agree that that's very interesting. Like ugh, yeah. the, the tape, I didn't listen to the tape. I did read the transcript and it is absolutely horrific. I mean, as evidence, we did try to record um, our own like reenactment of this transcript and we just could not do it because it was just that fucking uncomfortable. Okay. Yeah. With that being said, I do think that it is a good thing that they are recycling this for that use. I know that sounds sick, but we do need good detectives and FBI that are desensitized to this kind of thing so that way they can do their job. So if in if, in, in, in any event, and I'm sorry that I st like staggered on that one, but in any event, if there was something that... Um, she was able to sacrifice for the better. I would say it would be that. And I definitely will go ahead and in spirit thank her for that sacrifice. And also say that I am truly sorry that you had to go through all of that just for mm -hmm. that. So, but anyway. All right. Well, that's it. That's the end of this train wreck. Oh, I have an ending quote. All right. Go for it. My mama always said, life is like a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get. Guess who that is? Um, Pink Floyd. N no, it's Forrest Gump. Really, Amanda? <laughs> <laughs> I, I, hey, needed some, I needed some 
comedic relief here. Yeah, for sure. I agree. Um, all right, well, that was the fucking toolbox killers. Um, I feel like I'm desensitized enough to where eventually we'll get around to the toy box killer, but not right now. Not right now. Ooh, let's wait a little bit. Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna have to take a breather on that. We're, we'll cover some lighter fare up until then. Um, but yeah, this has been a pretty gory uh, Halloween little series that we've done. You know, it has. And, and we ended it with a with a twist. Um, God, maybe I shouldn't have said ended it with a twist because now I just can't stop thinking about some stuff. Um, but. As you know, you've heard us kind of here and there mention, we do have a palate cleanser episode, um, you know, planned just for you guys. Um, it probably won't be that long, but think of it to the equivalent of, I don't know, watching Faces of Death and then immediately going to look at puppy videos. It'll be fun. It's going to yeah. be so much fun. Definitely not, definitely not going to be a true crime related thing at all, um, unless it's like some random stupid true crime where nobody dies. You know, that we come across, but, but it is definitely going to be, um, in the realm of funny and Halloweeny and happy. And that's going to be for you guys. Cause we wanted to, we wanted to give you guys a treat, you yeah. know? Yeah. We so love you. we love you guys. Um, in the meantime, which, you know, that episode will probably drop right after this one, you know, follow us on good pods, Facebook, Twitter, TikTok, Instagram, you know? Uh, go leave us some reviews anywhere that you can leave us some reviews. Um, send Jason Vukovic some shit. Um, he just got somewhat visited by his girlfriend, thankfully. So that was cool. Um, and that's it. And we will, we will save all the good stuff for the next episode. Um, in the meantime, you guys just, uh, first of all, if you're going to keep a toolbox, just make sure that you keep actual tools in it and use it for its purpose. Like, I don't know, hanging a picture up or, you know, fixing a TV, you know. Um, and then if you're going to store your toolbox, the best place to store it would probably either be in your garage or, I don't know, in your in your trunk or in the, in the bed of your truck. Probably not underneath your bed in your murder <laughs> Mac. Where are you going with this? I am also going to let everybody know not to be a dick. And wear deodorant. Yeah, wear deodorant and don't, don't, um, don't nickname yourself pliers. That's just fucking weird. Okay. 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 Bye, guys. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to A Nefarious Nightmare. Music used in this podcast was created by Ghost Stories Incorporated. You can find their music on bandcamp.com. We do have social media. You can follow us at our Facebook page at A Nefarious Nightmare, or you can follow our Instagram, Nefarious Nightmare Pod. If you have any stories of paranormal instances that have happened to you or ideas for true crime, please email us at a nefarious nightmare at gmail.com. Thank you very much and take care.